0: Hi, this is Cale Clark. Welcome to The Faith Explained on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio mobile app. I'm so glad that you're with me today for this journey of exploring, understanding, explaining, and defending our Catholic faith. We're going through the Our Father, and we've come to the petition that says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In our last session, we determined that, really, it's probably better translated, deliver us from the evil one. That is the devil himself. And it kind of shed some light on this, we went through Jesus's temptation by Satan in the wilderness in Matthew's gospel. I want to continue on with that because it does give us some insight on how to resist the evil one in our own battles. We can learn, of course, as we can in everything, from our Lord himself. So let's look again. Let's look at that scripture once again from Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 to 11. That's one of the places you can find it. It says then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, "If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread." But he answered, "It is written, 'One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God.'" Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. Okay, so we looked at the first temptation that the devil presented to Jesus in the last episode. If you missed that one, please go to RelevantRadio.com or the Relevant Radio app, and you can stream and download the podcast there. Now let's look at the second temptation that Satan presents to Jesus in his magisterial commentary in the New Cambridge series, Dr. Craig Evans talks about these temptations and I took a graduate level course from him on Matthew and I learned so much about this I want to share it with you. When he talks about the holy city, when Matthew says the devil took Jesus to the holy city. What do you think the holy city is? That's right. It's Jerusalem, you guessed it. And in fact in Luke's version of this in Luke chapter 4 verse 9 he actually clearly spells it out that it is Jerusalem. So All throughout scripture and in Jewish writings, we see Jerusalem referred to as the holy city. For example, Isaiah 52, verse 1, put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. Nehemiah chapter 11, verse 1, to live in Jerusalem, the holy city. Now, how did Jesus get there? How did Satan bring him to Jerusalem? Well, most commentators think that was some sort of a vision. However, there is the possibility of what we might call transport, miraculous transport. After the resurrection, Jesus is able to appear uh, very suddenly in different places. There's an example in the book of Ezekiel. Where the prophet Ezekiel says, and this is in Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 3, says that an angel, and I'm going to quote from that verse, stretched out the form of a hand and caught me by a lock of my head. And the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me, in the visions of God, to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the north gate of the inner court, where the seat of the idol of jealousy, which provokes to jealousy, was located. That's Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 3. So, that's very interesting. An angel grabs him by some of his hair and brings him up, lifts him up, takes him to Jerusalem. Now, in the book of Daniel as well, and we did a series on Daniel on the Faith Explained program in the past, there is part of the book that's referred to as Bell and the Dragon. Now, in this section of the book, which is in Daniel chapter 14, an angel actually takes the prophet Habakkuk and lifts him up, not grabbing him by his hair necessarily, but lifting him by the crown of his head. And where does Habakkuk get taken? He gets taken to the den of lions, where Daniel is there. Why is he brought there? In order to feed Daniel. Hey, the, the lions aren't feeding on him, but Daniel himself is hungry. So that's another example uh, of some sort of a miraculous transportation of a holy figure. Well, whatever the case may be, whether it's a visionary experience or not, somehow Jesus finds himself on the pinnacle of, of the temple. Now we don't really know what that means exactly. What was the pinnacle of the temple? There's an ancient document that's called the letter of Aristius, and it says this, quote, "In order that we might gain complete information, we ascended to the summit of the neighboring citadel and looked around us. It is situated in a very lofty spot and is fortified with many towers which have been built up to the very top of immense stones." With the object, as we were informed, of guarding the temple precincts. End of quote. So that is a description of the temple precincts, uh, this very very high citadel. Also, Josephus, who's the great Jewish historian of the times, including the times in which Jesus lived, he actually talked about uh, being in the temple complex, being on the royal portico, and he said it was so high up that he looked down into the valley below. And he became very dizzy. So these are really staggering heights here. And how does the devil tempt Jesus at the pinnacle of the temple? Well, he says, don't forget, you're the son of God. So why don't you just throw yourself down, throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple. Why? Because God himself will command his angels concerning you. Uh, That's what it says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 6. He said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. So what is he doing there? He is quoting scripture, but he's actually kind of misquoting scripture. And so what happened in the first temptation, the one that we looked at in the last episode, Jesus says, one lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. All right. Well, devil's, the devil basically says to Jesus, well, one of the things that God says, one of the, the words that proceeds, if you will, from the mouth of God is that he will send angels to protect his people. And we do know that each one of us, in fact, has our own personal guardian angel. So the devil reasons, hey, Jesus, you can simply throw yourself down. God's going to send an angel to catch you. Not to worry. Well, what is Satan quoting from here? Where is he saying, you know, this is what it is written. He will command his angels concerning you. That actually comes from Psalm 91. This is an incredibly important psalm. And we need to know what it says. So let's read together Psalm 91. Uh, You can look it up in your Bible. Psalm 91 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High who abides in the shadow of the almighty will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings, you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night your habitation. No evil shall befall you. No scourge come near your tent, for he will give his angels charge of you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he clings to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him. Because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. That's Psalm 91. You're listening to The Faith Explained on Relevant Radio. I'm your host, Cale Clark. So, this is the psalm that Satan is quoting to Jesus, specifically... Look at verse 11 of Psalm 91, for he will give his angels charge of you to guard you in all your ways. In verse 12, on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Now, one thing that you have to understand about Psalm 91 is this. At the time of Jesus, Psalm 91 was all about how to get protection against demons. Now, This is what it says in Psalm 91, verse 5. You will not fear the terror of the night or the arrow that flies by day. Now, here's here's what's interesting. In the synagogues in Jesus' day, they had a version of the scriptures known as the Targums. Now, what are the Targums all about? You know that the Old Testament, of course, was written in Hebrew, and the New Testament is written in Greek. Of course, the New Testament was not written at this time when Jesus is having this showdown. With Satan, but when Jesus was growing up in the synagogues of his day, they did have the Aramaic Targums. Now, Aramaic was the street language that was spoken by Jesus, his disciples. He would have conversed with them on the regular in Aramaic. So, what basically happened was uh, for those who, who couldn't read Hebrew or perhaps were illiterate, there was another version of the scriptures that was read that was in Aramaic. And so, These are the Targums. Now, here's the Targum version of Psalm 91. In verse 5, where it says, You will not fear the terror of the night or the arrow that flies by day. This is what it says in Aramaic. Be not afraid of the terror of demons who walk at night, of the arrow of the angel of death that he looses during the day. Wow. Okay, let's take a look at verse 6 of Psalm 91, where it says, The pestilence that stalks in darkness, or the destruction that wastes at noonday. Here's what it says in the Aramaic Targums in the synagogues. The death that walks in darkness. The band of demons that attacks at noon. And finally, we see this in verse 10. No evil shall befall you. No scourge come near your tent. Uh, This is what it says in the Aramaic paraphrase. No harm shall happen to you, and no plague or demon shall come near to your tents. So you can see there that Psalm 91, in Jesus' day, was very much concerned with resisting and being protected from the demonic. And we know this because the Dead Sea Scrolls, when they were discovered... In the caves, the mountain caves by the Dead Sea in the desert region of Qumran, the lowest place on earth, in Cave 11, a document was found where Psalm 91 is there. And it was all in the context of psalms devoted to exorcisms. These psalms were known to be exorcism psalms, including Psalm 91. So, wow, there it is once again this is why the devil is quoting psalm 91 he knows that it was interpreted as being a defense against satan and all his minions and he's basically saying to jesus you've got nothing to worry about you've got absolutely nothing to worry about you don't have anything to be afraid of not even from me god's angels will protect you now here's a little bit of further intel on this as well In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 70. And what are they supposed to do? One of the things that they're going to do is expel demons. Let's look together at Luke chapter 10 very, very quickly. I want to share this with you. Uh, In Luke 10, we see this. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to come. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Pray therefore to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and salute no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace shall rest upon him. But if not, It shall return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it shall be more tolerable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes." But it shall be more tolerable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. He who hears you hears me. And he who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Okay, now let's see what happens next when the 70 return from their mission in Luke chapter 10. It says the 70 returned with joy In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. That is a very important passage there in Luke chapter 10. uh, That gives some background here on what we're dealing with, with this particular temptation of the enemy. Remember what Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven. Now, that could have been perhaps in reference to from all eternity as God. He was there, of course, when Satan Lucifer was kicked out of heaven, became a fallen angel and took a bunch of angels with him. They became the demons, of course. Or it could mean seeing Satan fall from heaven in the sense of his power falling as the disciples are casting out demons. But at any rate, we see that what, G- what Jesus says there. I've given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. In Luke chapter 10, verses 18 and 19, this idea of the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, that comes straight from Psalm 91. In Psalm 91:13, it talks about on asp and on cobra, you will tread. And we see this also in a Jewish writing. And Craig Evans points this out. There's a Jewish writing called the Testament of Levi. Again, it's not in the Bible. But this is very helpful for understanding what the thinking was at the time of Jesus. And here's what it says in the Testament of Levi. It says, Beliar, and that's, as we talked about before, one of the names of the devil. Beliar will be bound by him, and he will give authority to his children to trample upon the evil spirits. Now, this is clearly about the devil. It's clearly about defeating his power. So this is why the devil quotes this to Jesus. He knows very well that it's an exorcism psalm that has to do with the defeat of Satan and other demons. So he's saying to Jesus, you've got nothing to worry about for me. Well, clearly that's not the case. Clearly that is not the case. So it's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? That Satan knows the scripture as well and even knows the context of it. But don't forget, he is misquoting Scripture. He is misapplying the Scripture. But we need to be very, very wary because if he would try that with Jesus, the incarnate Word of God, guess what? He's definitely going to try to trick you. And this is why we need the magisterium of the church. This is why we need the teaching office of the church, because the Bible needs an interpreter Like a horse needs a rider. We can rip all kinds of verses out of context. When you take a verse out of context, it becomes a pretext for a proof text, as many preachers have often said. So it's very, very important that the scriptures be interpreted rightly in the church. We see Jesus interpreting his parables where in Peter's house, uh, the crowds hear the parables They don't quite understand it sometimes because it depends on how open your heart is to hearing the truth. But inside, in the house, in Peter's house, which is really a metaphor for the church, this is where Jesus breaks it down and explains it to his disciples. So how does Jesus reply to the enemy in this particular temptation? You're listening to The Faith Explained on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Cale Clark. Well, Jesus, just as he did with the first temptation in Matthew chapter 4, He goes back once again to the book of Deuteronomy. He counters scripture with scripture, but this time it's applied rightly. Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan says, jump off the pinnacle of the temple. The angels will catch you. Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, where does this actually come from? It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. And what is that talking about? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's talking about how Israel, again, wandering in the wilderness, just as Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, Israel was also tempted in the Old Testament. Israel being, in a sense, God's son collectively was tempted in the wilderness. But unlike Jesus, they failed miserably when they were tempted. Now, what was going on at that particular point that Deuteronomy 6.16 is referencing It's talking about how Israel failed utterly at Massa. Now, let me read this to you. One of the places where you can find this, by the way, you can find it in Psalm 95, verses 7 through 9. It kind of references this. But you can also read about it in Exodus chapter 17. At the beginning of Exodus chapter 17, it says this, All the congregation of the sons of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people found fault with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you find fault with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the rod with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, that the people may drink." And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the fault finding of the sons of Israel and because they put the Lord to the test by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now, by the way, you might be interested to know that he called the name of the place Massah. Now, Massah means proof in Hebrew. And Meribah, he also called it Meribah, Meribah means contention, and he called it Massa and Meribah because of the fault finding of the children of Israel. So they put God to the test. They questioned whether the Lord was with them or not. And we don't want to be like that uh, in the church. As children of God in Jesus Christ, we do not want to put God to the test either, nor do we want to question his power and presence among us. We also know, and Craig Evans mentions this as well, that there's something similar, there's a similar expression to Jesus' reply to the enemy in the prayers of the rabbis. Rabbi Yanai, for example, once said this, quote, A man should never stand in place of danger on purpose, saying that God will perform a miracle for him, for perchance no miracle will be performed for him. So we should never test God by putting ourselves in danger. We've got to be responsible. We've got to avoid temptation. We've got to even avoid the proximity of temptation. Uh, That's what we've got to do. And so I hope that sheds a little bit of light on how we can also continue to resist the enemy. Deliver us from the evil one. That's really what the prayer is all about, that petition in the Our Father. And it's illustrated quite well with the second temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. That's all the time we have for today, but if you have a question about the Catholic faith, I'll try to answer it on the air. You can send it to me via email. The address is relevantradio.com. F-A-I-T-H at at relevantradio.com, or you can try to get your question to me on the X app. My handle is at Kale Clark. I'll be with you later today at 5 p.m. Central for The Kale Clark Show live on Relevant Radio, and I'll see you in the next episode of The Faith Explained. God bless.